1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we're heading into the home stretch in December here before the new year. 2020 is almost over.
0: I I say good riddance to 2020 mostly, Ben. (laughs) I don't know about you. Yeah, same here. Yeah, for sure. This week, Ben, we did not get an extension of Best of Three in Kaladesh Remastered.
1: Boo, 2020.
0: Yeah, just just the, the hits keep coming there. <laughs> so I, I did want to talk to you real quick about your thoughts about differences between best of three and best of one. So we're, we're not going to be focusing on Kaladesh for a whole episode anymore. Um, I think we, we gave Kaladesh its due and we're both playing it still. But I did want to pick your brain about any differences you're seeing in terms of uh, gameplay or whatever. You actually had a really interesting insight into best of one in our little group chat with me you and Alex that I think might be worth sharing with the listeners as well yeah so I've not found it to be significantly
1: different I do value removal slightly more like I want to have two to three cards at least in my deck to interact with what my opponent's doing I prefer to run one piece of main deck disenchant removal i think at this point oh
0: interesting okay
1: feels pretty good to me and then i've just not i don't know i've not been winning so i don't know if my advice is going to be particularly helpful (laughs) but i have not found that the format feels significantly different other than that like the derpiest of engines are a little bit sketchy but i think engine decks are still very good and very viable you just shouldn't be trying to do like Ether flux reservoir shenanigans, but you probably
0: honestly shouldn't be trying to do that in best of three either. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a more of a do as I say, not as I do type of deck there. Yeah. I, I haven't either. You know, I had, I was. Not doing super well. I was getting a lot of like sort of static ladder climb, like two, three, 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 four, three life, like not really moving the needle very much. And then Friday, I was like, all right. I called I called my Friday stream the super duper try hard, no fun <laughs> rank up stream. You know, I did end up getting a uh, three, seven win decks that day, but they were all engine decks. And they, and I was like trying not to splash. But then those decks like two of those three decks that trophied did have splashes like I was trying to be restrained on my splashes like but I ended up with like a lot of attunes in one deck a lot of maps and prisms in another deck like so yeah I agree that it's not that much different but I am I am trying to to think about that like aggressive nature of the format like really making sure my two drop slot is full so I always have something to do on turn two things like that. Yes, I think that's all smart. So what what you were talking about my little insight in our group chat
1: with Alex was, you know, we've been complaining about best of one stinks, best of one stinks. And I finally figured out like why I think it bothers me. So I wrote my article for CFB last week on the rules of engagement for Kaladesh best of three, called it the rules of the road. But like every format has a set of conditions that you have to operate under, right? Like war of the spark. It was you have to get on board to be able to pressure planeswalkers. Kaladesh, it's you have to assemble an engine to go over the top. You know, Zendikar, you've got to try to draft a tribe for Synergy. You know, Akoria. it was like be cycling or try not to mm-hmm. be like every format has its own quirks, right? But I think the thing that bothers me about best of one is that those rules of engagement all are the same or get blurred into a similar thing. Each format starts to feel a little more homogenous because the best of one, the rules of best of one almost sometimes supersede what makes the format unique. So... The idea that, you know, you always have to get on board. You're always going to curve out. You're always going to be mashing things into each other. That's always true for best of one. And so it takes away each format's specialness, I think. That's what bothers me the most about it.
0: Yeah, and that really hit home for me because I do think like that's how I approach the best of one puzzle each time. And this is sort of a unique experience, I think, in terms of I usually feel like I try and do best of one first because of like i'm always just like well i'll just get to mythic and then i don't really care about ranking up to mythic number one so once i get to mythic then i go all right i'll switch to best of three but because we knew like best of three was on a timer here then i just like spent all this time with kaladesh and best of three first and now i'm going to best of one so i've not really flipped that script before and it has been interesting like just trying to solve that puzzle a little differently. But I, I agree. It does feel like it's always the same. It's like, all right, well, which which two drops are the best or like which are the, the most aggressive decks or I'm trying to bias towards assertive decks and not trying to Dirtle as much. But if I if I do Dirtle, th- th- that's the weird thing is like it does feel like you can have these really good engine decks for Kaladesh in, in particular.
1: Yeah, I found that as well.
0: Yeah. So anyway, uh, like I said, we're not we're not going to focus on Kaladesh for the whole episode. Um, we're going to be uh, doing a pretty sweet level up here uh, talking about reasons versus rewards and a couple other R's that we'll throw in there, but just sort of framing like grading and card evaluation in not letter grades and and trying to figure out how uh, putting those into words maybe is, is going to help folks to contextualize card evaluations a little bit more. But before we get into that, just a few housekeeping things. First things first, the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. We are, as Ben said, we're rounding out the year, the season of giving perhaps. Um, so if you're looking to give back to the show, if you found the show to give you value during these uh, these trying times this year or, you know, since since the show has been around, uh the Patreon is the place to do that. And uh, we have some perks along the way, access to our uh, Discord, which I do really believe is the best place on the internet for 24-7 limited tech support. Um, a lot of other rewards along the way. We're now doing this uh, these office hours as like you know private time uh, for our hero tier. So any any and all of that information is over there at our, our Patreon. And we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they joined. So this week we're welcoming Jose, Martin, Alex, Len, Evan, max maxwell jason and david thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah
1: cannot say thank you enough and i will say that doing the office hours has been a blast it's been great getting to know a few of our patrons quite a bit better hanging out played some hearthstone battlegrounds yesterday on stream <laughs> with kevin shout out to kevin in the discord so that was pretty fun yeah absolutely there's a lot of good stuff over at the patreon if uh, if you're interested show is also brought to you in part by channel fireball channelfireball.com. The best place to go for anything you need magic related there's a lot of sweet stuff going on over at cfb all also holiday related, so if you're looking for gifts for magic players in your life, they've got some sweet action over there—the ultimate magic gift box, as well as new player gift box and commander gift boxes. So, depending on how you know your your friend, significant other, whatever engages with magic, they should be able to find a good gift for them over there. And especially if you're trying to get somebody in your life hooked, check out the new player gift box. They also have some sweet creators collections going on. I think Luis and Gabby both have one up and they've reached out to other creators just to try to make a little landing page of that person's favorite cards or favorite products. So, you know, if you hop on Luis's creator collection, you can see what his favorite cubes are and order singles for maybe your own cube or something. And I think, I'm planning to make one of those and maybe we'll include some Lords of Limited stuff in mine, trying to get some sealed draft product in there. So be on the lookout for creators collections and go check out what your favorite content creators really like.
0: Yeah. And anything and all that you do over at ChannelFireball.com, if you're checking out, sign up for CFB Pro, getting some products, please use code LOL, all caps when you check out to let them know we sent you. Absolutely. All right. So uh, to start things off here with this idea of reasons versus rewards, this was first introduced to me. Um, I'm going to shout out a cube enthusiast, Derek Gallen, who I got to meet actually at GP New Jersey at the beginning of this year, which I really can't believe was actually this year. Um, But you know, I designed this historic cube to play on Arena with viewers, and he took the time to look it over and give me feedback. And when it came to the gold cards, the multicolored cards. He encouraged me to, uh, and I quote, "Not be a slave to the spreadsheet," as he put it. Um, he was like, "You don't need to have the same number for each color pair, and beyond that, you want to think about gold cards as reasons to be in a color pair versus rewards for being in that color pair." And so he, you know, the examples he gave were like, "Would you move into Golgari for Assassin's Trophy, which is a removal spell, or what about you know a Vraska planeswalker? And I really latched on to this idea. I love the idea for designing a cube. It sort of like lets you, you know, get some freedom in that respect. But also, I had never really thought about that idea of like, oh, this like putting cards in the cube to be reasons to do a thing versus rewards for doing that thing. Um, And I think this is a really good lens to apply that same mentality to drafting. And I think specifically to draw the line between C plus grade cards and B minus grade cards.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I am really, really, really excited about the show notes you laid out here. I think you absolutely crushed it. We're going to have a lot of good level up style information for everybody. I think this reasons versus rewards concept is pretty big game changer. And just thinking about the draft and navigating through the draft.
0: Yeah. So I want to put grades into words here, and I have like five different sections. And unfortunately, they're almost all alliterative, but I just couldn't quite bring myself to get a fifth <laughs> R out here. So so thinking about basically B plus through A plus, grade cards. And I I sort of frame those as cards to hold on to for dear life. I mean, this is mostly A's, but I think some B plus cards are also put in that category as well. Right. And
1: you will occasionally move off of them. But more often than not, even if you're cut out of that color, you'll try to play that color and find another open color.
0: Yeah. Uh, Next up, we've got reasons. And so these are B minus through B plus grade cards. So I have these as reasons to be in a color, color pair or archetype. Right. And that's what we're really going to be drawing the distinction between is
1: between reasons and rewards. So next up is the C plus cards. And those are the cards that are good and they're rewards for being in a color, color pair or archetype. But you're not necessarily hoping to spend super high picks on them. You want to get them late as rewards for identifying that you found the right draft deck for your seat.
0: And then for our third R, we've got Cs and those are role players in a color, color pair or archetype.
1: And last, we've got C minus and below. These are the replaceables, the fourth and final R. And essentially that's, do you ever end a draft saying, I wish I had a copy of X, you know, whatever that case is for you? Is it you know, eager construct? If the answer to that is no, then eager construct is replacement level. So essentially, I think that's even one of the more important things to be able to identify. Basically, how I think about replaceables also is, is this card going to have any significant impact on the outcome of the game? And if the answer to that is no there as well, I think you could also consider it replacement
0: level. Right, exactly. And I, we'll get to that in the, in the replaceable section. I really like that idea of, is this card going to have an impact on the game type deal? Um, so, But to, to walk things back to the start here, so cards to hold on to, for dear life, right? These cards are usually referred to as bombs, right? These are the cream of the crop of the limited cards you can get. But what does that mean? And I think it means it's a card, the way I think about it is these these A-level cards, these top-tier cards are cards that are so game-warping that they must be answered in short order or you're likely to win the game, right? These cards are few and far between. This is why I don't like when I grade stuff, I don't generally grade removal as a minus stuff right i feel like sometimes doom blade or like unlicensed disintegration from klr like these like super hyper efficient powerful removal spells people will put in that top tier slot and i still put those in like the b plus range because i just feel like it's got to be a card that absolutely warps the game
1: yeah that makes total sense to me so if you're thinking about cards like you know felidar retreat or drana the last blood chief luminarch aspirant Leyline tyrant from zendikar rising all of those cards are absolutely busted And once you have one of those cards, you know, if I first pick whatever drawn the last blood chief, I want to be black, right? And I'm willing to take a slight dip in power level to stay black. And then that's the real trick is how much of a hit in power level are you willing to take to stay black?
0: Yeah. So like these cards are so powerful that they're going to drastically change your pick order. You know, we did a roundtable, I think it was last week or maybe the week before where I first picked. Uh, Noxious Gear Hulk in a Kaladesh Remastered Draft. And I think that's one of the you know, top five cards in that format. It's absolutely insane. And then, you know, we were talking about how it was such a like draft the hard way set. And then I was just like, well, I'm just gonna take black card, black card, black card, so I can make sure I play this Noxious Gear Hulk. So those are the cards you want to identify that are that powerful and that are going to change your pick order so that you can, as as I call this, cards to hold on to for your life. So you might be faced with a choice between an on-color C-grade card and an off-color C-plus or even maybe B-minus grade card. Maybe you're inclined to take that large of a hidden power level to ensure that at the end of the draft, your bomb is castable in your deck.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, if you're thinking about how to navigate the draft in this sort of thing, it's going to be easier to do for mono-colored cards than it is for gold-colored cards. Because worst case scenario let's say you start a draft with roost of drakes but blue's not really that open in pack one you're going to take that roost of drakes you'll take whatever blue kicker cards come your way but you're also probably presumably if blue's cut trying to identify an open second color and then in pack two theoretically blue should flow and you'll be able to get blue in pack two because it was cut in pack one and you know maybe you don't get blue cards in pack three maybe your neighbor pivots off of blue that was passing to you because you cut it back in pack two, who knows. But then theoretically, that other color that you identified outside of blue that was open should be enough to give you a draft deck, even if you're heavier on your secondary color than you are on blue,
0: right? Like sometimes you get pushed off of it, right? Sometimes you open roost and then blue just isn't there for you. And you you can't make that work. That's going to happen sometimes. But I think, you know, just being aware of like, look, pack two can bail me out in terms of blue cards in theory because you haven't passed any blue because the person to your right has been cutting blue it's a lot harder with multicolor cards um but there are definitely cards in the in this set and zendikar that i'll try to cling to hard for like zagras or zarathsan or i would even put like Soaring Thought Thief, maybe in this category, because I, I really think even more than Zarathsan, it's like the number one card that makes the blue-black rogues deck tick. Um, but I also think Zendikar Rising is unique in the sense of like holding on to gold cards for or, or, you know, picking gold cards early because it's a tribal set. So you can reap rewards in later packs, like if you carve out clerics, and then the uncommon clerics aren't opened until pack three, but you're going to get them in pack three because you've like cut that hard. But that's sort of like is rolling the dice a little bit.
1: Sure, and I think you know if you think Kaladesh, also very reasonable to take gold cards aggressively. Like you're slamming Whirler Virtuoso, or you're slamming Cloudblazer because the fixing is available in that format to let you splash those cards. So, you know, even if you get cut out of that specific color pair. So there's all
0: these different considerations, format to format. But I definitely agree with what you're saying about Zendikar here. So that's like the the, the crux of, I think, these, these cards to hold on to for dear life. And, and picking and choosing those specific cards that you're willing to warp your pick order for. I think that's important to know. Like, I'm opening some kind of bomb, like delineating things between, like, am I going to force green hard for Ancient green warden? Probably not, but that is like a really powerful card in my mind. But, you know, green is so weak in this format that I'm not super excited about like forcing green hard, that sort of thing.
1: Right. So when we're doing our limited tested meeting with you and Alex and me, it's probably those cards that are in the far
0: left column, right? Exactly. Right, right, right. So now we get to the reasons versus reward section, right? This this concept is best applied, I think, to the gold uncommons. These are the cards that are often on the cusp of that C plus slash B minus territory. So obviously, once you know you're in these colors, they're strong cards for your deck. But I think the interesting question is, when do you take them in the draft? Like, when are you w- willing to take these gold cards early? I think this is a pretty big stigma in, in Limited, right? Is like, well, you shouldn't take gold cards early. But I think that's a little bit outdated at this point. Yeah,
1: I agree as well, because they're so high power and they make so many other cards in your deck work towards the same goal that if it is open, it's a pretty big boon for your deck to pick it up
0: yeah so you know when do you take them or when do you pivot for them right if you have three red cards and then you see a green white gold card is it worth abandoning ship or speculating on this card for an archetype and as always early in a draft there's this sort of like high risk high reward for drafting gold cards but you
1: should be willing to take those risks because that's what we're talking about here right so if you're if that gold card is a reason to draft the thing you should be willing to take that risk because if the risk pans out you're going to have a great reason to do those other things if it starts flowing. And then, you know, especially if the other cards in the pack are, you know, reward level or role player level, you should be willing to take aggressive risks on reason cards, I think.
0: I think so too. And I think then it's important to know or to identify what those reason cards are. I think in Kaladesh, like with the engine cards, a lot of the time, like the, the modules or era of innovation, like thinking about how much that card is going to buoy up the grades of future picks, I think is also important to identify. So there's basically two main questions I ask when approached with this kind of situation. The first, how important is this gold card to its color pair and archetype? And two what are you giving up in the pack to make the speculative pick, right? So if, you know, let's say, so spoiler alert, I would say that, you know, Root Grazer as the green, white, gold card and and Zendikar is not a reason to do something. Um, So if you've got three red cards, but let's say the green, white, gold card was a reason, or let's say it was Soaring Thought Thief. You've got three red cards in your pile and you see Soaring Thought Thief fourth. That's a really big reason to be blue, black. But, you know, if you're not giving up on a red card, it's an easy pick. If there's a royal eruption in the pack, it's a very difficult pick, you know?
1: Right. And I think you're probably trending towards the Royal Eruption in that example.
0: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it depends what those three red cards you already have are, but I would I would say yes, that's a, a better start. But it's it's close, right? I th- And I think jumping ship for a card like that, especially in Zendikar Rising, I think is, is pretty interesting.
1: Right. Because if that made it that far around and you are the only rogues drafter over the next two and a half packs you're going to get extremely hooked up. Mm -hmm. So you can frame those gold cards as the reason to be worth picking over monocolored cards, sort of debunking that myth that, you know, you shouldn't take gold cards early. You know, even pack one, pick one, that same example, um, I think it's very close between Royal Eruption and Soaring Thought Thief because Soaring Thought Thief is so good in its deck.
0: Yeah, I mean that—that that for me is a c- close but clear Thought Thief in my mind.
1: See, and I think I would land on Royal Eruption there, but just the the thought process of how you're framing it is even more important than the actual pick you're making. As long as you have reasons and you know why you're doing the thing that you're doing.
0: Exactly. So I think let's run down all ten gold on from Zendikar Rising, and we can put them under the lens of reason versus reward. So. Spoiler alert. First up, Soaring Thought Thief, Reason, right? We we have been talking about it all episode and I think as I said before in my mind this is the number 1 card for this archetype. And it's both and this is I think an important distinction. It's both a payoff and an enabler, right? So it enables the, like, get your opponents eight cards, and then it benefits you from getting to eight cards in their graveyard and from having other rogues, right? So it's, like, really the crux of the deck. You think about, like, Flourishing Fox or Valiant Rescuer from Akoria as both, like, cards that cared about cycling and that had cycling themselves. When you're both a payoff and an enabler, I think that really puts the card into that, like, reason category. So I'd say, like, seeing this anywhere in pack one, I would seriously consider drafting it.
1: Yeah, makes sense to me. Next up is Kargan Warleader, the red-white gold card. One red-white 3-3. Three, three. Gives your other warriors plus one, plus one. This card, I think, falls into the reward category. This card's good, but it's not necessarily essential to the red-white deck. So if you think about Core Blademaster, that's the one on a white for the 1-1 one, one, double strike that gives equipped warriors double strike. I think that's more of a pull into Red White Warriors even than Kargan Warleader is, but there's also a bunch of different flavors of good Red White decks, right? There's also a Red White party deck because Grotag Bugcatcher really incentivizes you to want to party, and there's some good Red and White uncommons that also want you to party. So you can have good Red White decks without Kargan Warleader and without Core Blademaster, whereas, you know, the Blue Black decks really want to be rogues. I mean, there's Blue Black party decks as well, but I think you're always playing Cargon Warleader in Red White, but it doesn't necessarily push you or incentivize you to really want to be red-white.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. Next up, we've got Moss Pit Skeleton. This is black-green for the 2-2. It has kicker 3. If it's kicked comes into play with three plus and plus one counters on it. And if it's in your graveyard and something gets a plus and plus one counter on it, you can put it on top of your library. This is a reward. I think this is really strong. This is probably the strongest of green's gold uncommons in my mind. But I don't think any of green's gold uncommons are pulls into their respective color pairs. Um, This is probably, I think, the best of the bunch. And the fact that it's splashable in a color that can splash gives it a slight bump. But your Golgari decks, and Golgari, I think, is a deck you should be drafting pretty rarely, but your Golgari decks will operate just fine without one of these.
1: Sure, I agree. The other thing I was just thinking about while you were going through Moss Pit Skeleton there is you can also sort of frame which ones are going to end up as reasons versus rewards based on how good the decks are, right? The ones, yeah. that, the ones that are falling into archetypes that are less desirable are also more likely to be considered rewards because you just aren't incentivized to draft that deck because
0: of the format constrictions. Yeah, right. And I think that's a a really good point as well.
1: So coming up next, speaking of that, is Brushfire Elemental. So this is the red-green 1-1 haste uh, landfall whenever land ETBs gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. This is barely a reward, mostly because red-green is so unsupported in the format if it were more supported this could be a reason type card but this just doesn't do enough you have to be red green and know you really want to be hyper aggressive landfall before you want to take this card and you just shouldn't be trying to do that in the format until you know that the lane's really open so it makes sense to think of Brushfire elemental as a reward for identifying that red green's open, like that literally no one else is drafting it. So you know, you're going to get all those cards,
0: right? I think brushfire elemental is the weakest of the 10. Because not only is it not like a huge payoff for being red green aggro, right? It's like totally fine. But it isn't necessarily the thing that that color pair is doing, right? Red green can also be an MDFC pile deck, right? Like it can be this like mid range deck, it doesn't actually have to be this hyper aggro thing. And outside of that brushfire elemental is quite bad, I think,
1: right? And I think MDFC, might
0: even be the default red green deck right well because so much has to go right for red green aggro to get there like multiples of these have to be open. You have to be the only one drafting it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Next up is cleric of life's bond, white, black for the two, two, whenever you gain life for the first time, each turn, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. And whenever a cleric enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life, Uh huge reason here. I think this is just like a notch below soaring thought thief in terms of being both a payoff and enabler for its particular archetype. It works incredibly well with so many of the commons. I think that's probably another thing to think about in terms of reasons versus reward. Like, how supported is the thing at common? Um, it's a must answer threat on turn two. It's a totally fine top deck on turn 10. If you build your deck right. Yeah, clerical life's bond is
1: a house. It's one of the scariest cards to see come down on turn two out of a white black deck. Next up is low mages familiar. This is the Simic gold card. One blue green for the two four can tap to add blue or green. And whenever you cast a kicked spell, you gain two life. I think this falls into the category of reward, despite being what looks like a very good card, you know, and if you had asked me about all these gold cards on first glance, I would have said Lull Mages Familiar was one of the best of them and Mm -hmm. a reason to draft Simic, but that's just not sort of how it's panned out because of the format. But I do think it's a very, very, very good reward. The blue-green kicker deck just has so much stuff to do, and Lull Mages Familiar is not an essential part of any of that. The deck really doesn't want to ramp from turn three to turn five, other than maybe kicking a Gnarled Colony. But kicking a Gnarled Colony is not why the blue-green yeah. deck is good, you know? <laughs> right. It's because you're burying your opponent in card advantage and kicker triggers from things like Roost of Drakes. You know, Roost of Drakes is more of a reason to draft blue-green kicker than Low Mage is Familiar is, for example.
0: Yeah. I, it wasn't until I, I put this down on paper that I, I realized, like I think it would be a lot better if there was not such a divide in terms of kicker. Most of the kicker stuff is either 4-CMC or 6-CMC. Like outside of Colony, there's really not much, and I think that is a pretty big knock against the Familiar.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me.
0: Next up, we've got Marasa Root Grazer. This is a reward. Um, this is green-white for the 2-3. You can tap it to put a basic land from your hand into play or tap it to pick up a basic land. Um, I think green-white is probably the worst color pair in Zendikar Rising, so you shouldn't end up there that often. This is sort of another check mark for Ben's point earlier about like how good or how viable the archetype is sort of dictates how much of a reason or reward the gold uncommon is. If you are, you're definitely going to find a use for this card. But it by no means is something that I see and say, well, let's see if Selesnya is open, right? You want to be sure that's absolutely the color pair your seat wants and then hope a bunch of these get opened at the table.
1: 100%. Ravager's Mace is next up. This is near and dear to my heart. But unfortunately, <laughs> this is also going to fall into the reward category. Ethan has barely here and then I show notes i don't know i don't know about that i do like ravagers mace as a one of i think a red black deck with one ravagers mace is much better than one without but it is clunky um and i think one is the magic number yeah because this is the deck in the format that operates best at common you don't really need to rely on a card like ravagers mace to point you as the sign of here you should draft red black party you know you can have a great red black party deck without ravagers mace you know if you've got the appropriate Party members at common. You've got good removal. You beat down. You get some recursion. I think you know you'd rather have cards like acquisitions expert, thundering spark mage, shatter skull minotaur. Like all of those uncommons are better for the deck than ravagers mace. I think that's true.
0: Like imagine if the red black gold uncommon and Zendikar Rising was a creature with types. What if it was? Like, wow, wow, it could be like a creature <laughs> with two types. Like what? Like something like that. But what if it was just essentially like a gold shatter skull minotaur or a gold thundering spark mage, something like that. Then I think that gets into the category of reason, right? You go like, I want to take this card. I know the deck is supported at common. It suddenly becomes a payoff and an enabler for the deck. And now we're talking about like a card I'm interested in speculating on early.
1: Ethan Sachs, great designer search 2021. (laughs) Let's go. You were so excited there. That was
0: passionate. I love it. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I got a little ahead of myself there. (laughs) Next up, we've got Spoils of Adventure. This is four white blue for the instant. Uh, Draw three, gain three, and it costs one less to cast for each member of your party. This is a reward, almost a reason. I've I've come up on this card quite a bit. I still think the fact that you get field research at common in this color pair, which is not as good in the best blue-white decks, but somewhat comparable, makes me unsure about where it falls. I'm landing on reward for now, but I think it's close. I, I just don't often take this Early in my drafts, I find.
1: I agree. I think it's a reward more than it is a reason. And I do love Spoils of Adventure. I'm a huge proponent of Spoils of Adventure in blue white. I think the blue white deck is pretty much Spoils, you know, Seagate, uh, the unblockable rogue, and Practice tactics, and you're just trying to like draw some cards, kill your opponent, stuff, assemble a party, and then win with Seafloor Stalker. There we go. You said Seagate, but you got you got there with (laughs) Seafloor. There it was. (laughs) I knew it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Last up is Umara Mystic, the blue, red, gold, uncommon. One blue, red for the one three flyer, and whenever you cast an instant sorcery or wizard spell, it gets plus two plus O until end of turn. This is a reason bordering on, you know, only being a reward because there's so many good payoffs for the blue-red deck. But this gives your blue-red deck another element where you your opponent, once this is on the battlefield, or if you even have, heaven forbid, two of them on the battlefield, they really have to worry about just being comboed out in combat.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it can close the game really quickly, and so I think that's why it's on reason end of things i think we you know we're also not talking about any of the relics but i think the four relics you also because they're they're basically gold cards maybe relic amulet goes outside of blue red but the other ones i think like you know really are just like again secret gold cards for their their tribal archetypes, and you can put those under these spectrums as well under reasons or reward. Right. And I think also, you know, blue-red, if we're thinking about the color pair quality,
1: blue-red is one of the best color pairs. And so if you look through our gold cards here, the three reason cards are blue-red, blue-black, and black-white. And I think those are what I would have as the three best decks in the format. So you could, a little bit of a chicken and egg thing there, but I think that's definitely an influencing factor.
0: And I think, you know, this doesn't have to only be applied to gold cards. You can just think about reasons and rewards for any card in a limited environment, cards with intense mana requirements like Gifted Etherborn from Kaladesh, the like Black Black 2-3 Lifelink Death Touch, or build arounds like Animation Module that are going to change your pick order, but have huge upside. These are other ways to think about cards as like, is this a reason to do this thing or a reward for already being in that deck?
1: Yeah, those are great examples. So Gifted Etherborn, I would say, is a reward,
0: yeah? right because it's close but it's going to change your your pick order because of the heavy mana requirements like you take gifted etherborn it's going to be really hard for you to then also have aerial responder in your deck which is the one white white two three flying lifelink vigilance like those two cards in the same deck are going to be tough because you can't you certainly can't curve one into the other um, but you're going to then have this like awkward mana base you want to cast both of those cards early because that's when they're at their best like that does then change things up for you. Yeah, and where you land on animation module, out of curiosity, I think it's a reason to do a thing, but I I don't think it's just like a card you can slot into any deck. Like you got to start then going, okay, well I need fabricate, I need to have some plus and plus one counter stuff happening. Like I want to be able to take advantage of this as a late game engine, so I'm going to build my deck a little bit more controlling. But I think it's a payoff to do that. Yep, yeah, I agree. I think you can also think of like quote unquote secret gold cards under this umbrella of reason versus reward. So attended healer from Zendikar Rising, the four mana two three in white. Uh, It says whenever you gain life for the first time each turn, you make a one one cat and you can pay two in white to give another cleric lifelink until end of turn. Like that is just a secret black white gold card. Like you don't want to put that in your party deck because you aren't going to have enough clerics for it. But it's definitely a reason to draft clerics in my mind. Yeah, I think so.
1: And then taking a look at something like Scion of the Swarm, the three black black uh, flying, 3-3, three, three, and whenever you gain life, each time you gain life, you get a plus-one, plus-one counter on cyan of the Swarm. I think we were pretty hot on this card as being awesome and a reason to draft lifelink, and it just really isn't because if you don't get there it's really not good in any other deck in the format. And you're hoping, I think, to pick it up as a reward for having identified that black, white is open. Right,
0: exactly. And I think similarly, something like Shorefooted Infiltrator, this is three and a blue for a two, three rogue, and you can tap another rogue you control to make it unblockable in Son of turn. And whenever it deals damage to a player, you draw a card. I was really high on this card initially, but I think I now have it firmly in the reward category. Like it's not a reason to draft rogues in my mind, but I'm happy to play it in my rogue heavy deck. Yep, I agree. So that's our segment on reasons versus rewards. And now we'll move down a little bit to grade C for role players. And uh, I think I refer to these as like the meat and potatoes of a limited deck. Uh, They probably on average make up about 50% of your deck. They're usually the commons or uncommons that are just on the outside looking in. Of the top uncommons or commons in their colors. These are the cards you can get late in the pack, the cards you have to just suck it up and take like early in pack three when it's clear what holes in your deck you need. fill up.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, role players getting the role players in your deck right is going to drastically up the power level of your deck, right? If you get the role players that fit along with your reason cards, and are all working together towards a cohesive goal, that's a big deal. And I think one of the trickiest parts about drafting these role player type cards is early on in the draft when you're still trying to balance yourself between multiple archetypes, right? Like, let's say you're in Zendikar Rising, and you're trying to feel out whether you're rogues or clerics, like maybe you're deep into black, and you've got you know a rogue payoff and you've got a cleric payoff trying to figure out which role players you're going to pick in those spots is really difficult because you're trying to toe the line between two sort of things and then once you narrow in
0: on one thing it should become more clear which role players you want for your deck and that's why i think like we're so high on glue cards like cards that like maybe look innocuous like forbidden friendship poster child for this i'd say stonework pack beast poster child for this kind of card like these cards that are just like they're role players but they're going to go in so many different decks that they're such high picks early because, you know, they let you like hashtag delay the decision or whatever. Absolutely. These are often going to be the most contextual cards, right? We've done some episodes on commons and context, sort of looking at what those cards are that are the most contextual based on what archetype you're drafting, how that deck is going to look at the end of the draft, etc. I think these are cards that certain archetypes or game plans definitely want, while others don't care about them at all. Right. So if we take a look
1: at some specific examples here. And I think it's going to be a little more clear cut in zendikar rising just because it's a tribal format but i think you can ask yourself this about the common cards that especially share a cmc in any color so if we're taking a look at expedition healer versus cliffhaven Sword, so that's the one and a white two two uh, cleric that gets lifelink if you control another cleric and has vigilance and cliffhaven is the one and a white three one vanilla warrior
0: right so for any of these you know card versus card you just got to ask yourself a bunch of questions and you should be asking yourself a lot of questions during the draft anyway, but here are some examples, right? Which types do you care about? Well, if I care about clerics, then I take healer. If I care about warriors, then I take sword How do you expect your deck to play out? Right? Do you think you'll be partying? Do you think you'll be more aggressive? Do you think you'll care about the lifelink? These are things you want to be asking yourself to figure out what pick you should be making.
1: So imagine that you're blue white, the answer could even change, right? You know, if you're blue white, and you've got four clerics, and you've only got one warrior, you're going to be snapping up cliffhaven sword to try to fill out your party. But if it's the other way, and you're heavily slanted towards warriors, you might need to pick up expedition healer to, you know, get Get your second cleric in your deck
0: yeah that's so funny the first example i was like wait you have four clerics maybe i want expedition healer because expedition healer wants you to have more clerics yeah that's also true yeah so next up here we've got Jiraga visionary versus canopy bailoff yeah so visionary the three two wizard the way atbs you draw a card and canopy bailoff the four three with uh landfall plus two plus two until end of turn so i mean this is pretty clear cut i think it's These cards are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Are you aggro landfall? Then you want Baloth. Are you trying to bridge the gap from your early game to your top end or kick spells? Well, then you want Visionary. Do you care about types? Then you want Visionary. Like these are the questions you want to ask.
1: I think in general, Visionary is better than Baloth as well. Yes, I think is the is the default without more information.
0: I think in general, green is trying to do MDFC pile more likely than it is an aggro landfall deck.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So next up here, we've got Risen Riptide versus Zulaport Duelist versus Expedition Diviner. We've got a threefer.
0: Yeah, well, I just think like, you know, these are all super contextual, right? So like, do you care about types? Well, then you want Duelist for Rogues, you want Diviner for Wizards, you want Riptide for your Kicker deck. But I think specifically, do you have Into the Royals? That's when Risen Riptide really becomes appealing to me. Um, Do I care about Milling? Then I want Duelist. Do I, am I trying to fill out my party? Well, then probably Duelist is better because for Diviner to be good, I really want to make sure that I have extra wizards lying around. Absolutely. I love this example here. Do you remember walking back down memory lane when everyone was all hot and bothered about Risen Riptide? Yeah, it's probably the card that's fallen the most from Grace, right? It was in our top three blue commons for a little bit. Yeah, I think
1: even up until I think we bumped it out finally in the limited tested meeting for Royal Mage, but it's it's plummeted
0: even after that. Yeah, but it's like it's sort of it's mind blowing to me that I ever thought that it was so good because of how much I think it's like not important at all to the kicker decks, basically.
1: Right. It's, it barely, I think Risen Riptide barely falls into the reward category for a kicker deck. Like, I could have a kicker deck and you could tell me, do you want a Risen Riptide? And I'd be like, eh,
0: I guess. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the last example here I have is uh, Demon's Disciple versus Skyclave Shadowcat. I think both of these as black uncommons are like totally fine. But again, I want questions, right? Do do I have disposable bodies? That's the first question I ask when I have Demon's Disciple, right? Like my hope is that it's not just a three mana edict, right? I want to make sure that like maybe I get to sack something innocuous and my opponent has to sack something real. Um, So do I have an acquisitions expert that I can curve this into? That would be sweet. Do I care about types? Well, then I don't want the cat do I have plus one, plus one synergies? Well, then I do want the cat, you know, but the cat, I don't think is a reason to do the plus one, plus one counter thing. It's much more a reward. Right. And a reward that again, you could maybe even take or leave at some points. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I love reasons versus rewards. It's so good. <laughs> so last up here, moving to uh, the bottom of the barrel, we've got replaceables. And I think it's super interesting, right? That the role players thing I think is probably the most difficult thing for folks to get a grasp on. I feel like usually when people do like deck techs or tag us in discord about like how to finalize their build, that's the thing that you're looking at, right? You're switching between the C grade cards most of the time or trying to like bring in a C over a C minus in your mind, that sort of thing. Yes. So the replaceables, these aren't like Bad cards, right? There's so few bad cards in Limited. I feel like someone tweeted like a few months ago, maybe it was Raf Levy. It was like there just like aren't bad cards in Limited. It's just about figuring out where they best go. And I think the replaceables are a little bit outside of that realm. Like These are just cards that like aren't embarrassing or anything, but maybe you'd hope to not play, or there just are so many cards that are of similar ilk that uh, you don't have to worry about prioritizing them. So when asked about fringe playable slash bad replaceable cards on stream, I try to frame it as, or I think about it to myself as, at the end of the draft, do I wish I had this card? And I think that's a great way to try and distinguish between role players and chaff, or role players and replaceables. Right. And the other
1: way to think about it is if this color's open, I should have access to more of this card in the future. Like, I should get past another copy of this card, theoretically, if I want one for my deck,
0: right, I'm not interested in taking this pack one pick six, because if that color is open, in theory, I will see more of that card later in the draft.
1: And most most of that pushback comes from, you know, when you're drafting or whatever, a lot of times, you know, you start this and this goes back to reasons, rewards, and all that other stuff. There's a card that looks like maybe it's a role player even more than replaceable in your deck. And you've got a choice between a role player for you know, a deck that you're drafting that you've already got four good cards for versus a reason in a totally different thing. And people are like, well, why did you take this card that doesn't go with these other cards you've drafted? And the answer is, it just the role player is not powerful enough, or the replacement level card is not powerful enough to warrant me taking over a card that could be very impactful if I end up pivoting towards this other deck, even if there's only, whatever, a 10% chance that you end up doing that.
0: Yeah, right. So most cards in modern limited formats have a home. I think this question now goes back to also the thought about, well, how often do you end up in this archetype, or how good is that archetype? Mostly looking at you, green, and all your color pairs, but <laughs> how often do you find yourself building that home in drafts is the real question.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. So see, it Colossus is a great example for this type of card, you know, a replacement level card. Is it playable in party decks? Hundred percent. You're happy with it, and you know if it's going to cost five in your deck, you'll put a copy in there. But you've just never ended a draft and thought, "Geez, this deck would really be awesome if I had a Seagate (laughs) Colossus at the top of the curve." Right? It's just not that type of card.
0: Right. The thing that uh, came up from writing this was that the reverse of this can be applied for cards that are super important. So, how many times have I ended a draft and thought, "If only I had"? more pack beasts, or if only I had more grow tag bug catchers. This is a reason those cards are among the top commons in the set, right? They're sort of unassuming on their face, but they're so important to making so many decks tick that they're skyrocketing in your pick order, right? The more often you go, I wish I had card blank at the end of a draft, the higher you should put that in your pick order.
1: Boom. Agreed. It's also really important to note that you should be taking flyers on reasons, rewards, role players over these replacement level cards. And this is where grades, I think, sometimes get people into trouble. Like, think mm-hmm. Lathnu Sailback from Kaladesh Remastered. So that's the four and a red vanilla five four. You know, that card probably gets a grade of like a C minus, a D plus, right? Like, it's a fine magic card. It's got power and toughness. It can attack and block. But you basically never ever ever want to put that card in your deck, right? It should you would be better, I think, if you just considered that card an F and looked for something like a inventor's apprentice. That's the red one two that gets plus one plus one if you have an artifact or destructive tampering, the two in a red, destroy an artifact and or creatures can't block on the ground, a falter effect. Those are probably lower graded cards. Then Lathnew Sailback, you know, if you're grading things in a vacuum, but if you find the right deck for Inventor's Apprentice or Destructive Tampering, they're actually going to be, you know, a fine role player in your deck, whereas Lathnew Sailback is never going to add anything of any meaningful uh, amount to your deck.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good point. I think another way to frame replacement level cards in your head is, as Ben said earlier, is this card likely to influence the outcome of the game in any reasonable way? And sure, Last New Sailback might do that, right? You might just need some chonk at the top of your aggressive red deck curve, but more likely, like a card like Destructive Tampering has has the ability to just win the game on the spot, right? You use the Falter effect and attack for lethal, or you blow up a key thing, right? It's gonna, like, be this very important piece at times or starting your curve out with Inventor's Apprentice and then the goggles or whatever, and you're smashing in for a bunch of damage early. That's likely to change the outcome of the game. Whereas like Last New Sailback is just raw stats.
1: Well, and is likely interchangeable with any other card that is just raw stats. So if you want that or need that as your 23rd card because you're light on creatures, you should be able to get it or have it last pick, you know?
0: Right. Raw stats is much easier to replace than like, well, this is a potential 1-mana 2-3. That's There's not really anything in the set that competes with that. Or Destructive Tampering is an oops-I-win card slash a, a removal spell in an artifact-heavy set. And there's not really a card like that, right? Your main decking, your appetite for unnatural or fragmentized, those cards aren't also going to randomly win you the game sometimes.
1: Right. So I think, you know, grading can sometimes get you into trouble. Whereas if you're thinking about it as these reasons, rewards, role players, replacement level, you're a lot less likely to find yourself in that spot because then you're looking for rather than the replacement level cards, you're looking for the role players to slot very well in your deck. And while role players might get a grade of a D, you know, because D the definition of a D is, you know, sometimes playable depending on the deck you're drafting, right? Like the the grading scale incentivizes you to grade more vanilla cards higher, because they're good in all situations or whatever. But finding cards that are great in certain situations and building your deck to try to have that great situation come up is, you know, powerful and can lead to you having better role players in your deck rather than just absolute replacement level cards.
0: Yeah, you know, the latest episode of limited level ups with Sam Black uh, was super interesting. If you haven't listened to that would recommend. Um, But you know, they were talking about this idea of the 23rd playable and how that just doesn't exist anymore. Like when was the last time? You know, people are always just like, what are the cuts, right? You have too many playables all the time what are the cuts it's never like what's this last thing i have to include and so that i think this this outdated there's a lot of i think outdated ideas about limited just because of how powerful sets are these days and i think that's one of them is that this idea of reframing cards not in like 23rd playable or letter grades but under this idea of reasons rewards role players and replaceables will help you contextualize picks a lot better and i think also help you build your decks better at the end of the draft. So you go like, these are the things that are like more unique or more likely to impact the game. And these are the things that I could take or leave,
1: right? And ultimately, in draft, you should be trying to set yourself up to get as many reward cards as possible, right? Like you're trying to navigate the draft to a point where, okay, I know this thing's open. And maybe you're even getting reason cards late, because people have locked into their color pairs or whatever.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, like you, you would ideally have as many reason cards as possible, but they just are so few and far between, right? Like the, the B minus and higher grade cards don't make up a lot of your deck. It's it's getting those handful of those and then supporting them with as many rewards as possible.
1: I, that I think has been, you know, we were talking about the difference between the best of three and the best of one Kaladesh cues. That I think has been the bigger difference to me rather than like the gameplay I have found that the good cards and the good engine cards are much more difficult to pick up in the best of one drafts than they were in the best of three queues.
0: And do you think that's just because like the caliber of player there is higher or what? Yeah, I think maybe. Yeah. And people are just prioritizing those cards as much or close to as much as you are. Yeah. That's a bummer. I want to have, I want to do sweet things. <laughs> I want to do the fun things. Me too. All right, so let's take a look at a round table here and try and put these tools into practice, as it were. So pack one, pick one of a Zendikar Rising Draft. You see the following cards as options. Um, Best commons, I'd say, are Gnarled Colony, Deadly Alliance, Expedition Healer. I mean, Deadly Alliance, probably the best of those bunch. Um, And moving on to the uncommons, we've got two signpost gold cards, Umara Mystic in blue red and Ravager's Mace in black red. Our MDFC is Skyclave Cleric, the two mana, one, three, ETBs, you gain two life and is a white source. And then your rare, I think a huge card to hold onto for dear life, in my mind, is Skyclave Shade. One and a black for the 3-1. Can't block. It has kicker two in a black. If it was kicked, it enters the battlefield with two plus and plus one counters on it. And as landfall, you can cast it from your graveyard this turn.
1: Yeah, the card's very oppressive. And I think you're slamming it here over Amara Mystic. I think Amara Mystic's close in power level, maybe in, in the best blue-red deck. But Skyclave Shade being one color here is a huge tiebreaker. And I think you're you're slamming it.
0: Yeah, I found Skyclave Shade to be very, very difficult to deal with. And I think vice versa for my opponents. It's It's just like... The, the three power is huge. It's really hard to block. And then obviously, if you ever kick it, it's just an absolute beating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So picked up that Skyclave shade there. And so then we followed up with pack one, pick two. Again, the commons I'm looking at, a couple good blue ones. We've got Tazim Royal Mage and Seafloor Stalker. There's another Gnarled Colony. The only black card in the pack is Sky Dancer, which I'm not thrilled to follow up with. Uh, We've still got all three uncommons in the pack. There's Relic Amulet. That's the one that cares about wizards, instants, and sorceries. Another Ravager's Mace, Brushfire Elemental. And rare still in the pack is the Red White Land Needle Verge Pathway.
1: Yeah, so I think there's some interesting cards to consider here. Ravager's Mace, probably not taking it this early, right? We've got that in the reward category pretty firmly. The cards that stand out to me the most are Relic Amulet and Tazim Royal Mage. Mm -hmm. And Tazim Romage is appealing sort of because you could be blue black with Skyclave Shade, whereas Relic Amulet's pretty much just a blue red gold card. And I think you can, though, however, play Relic Amulet in blue black decks. I've had it in blue black decks before where it's good. You know, maybe you've got a lot of wizards. You've got a lot of good interactions some good removal. So I think for that reason and just the sheer power level of Relic Amulet, it's a reason to be blue red, right? So now we've got a reason to be black in Skyclave Shade and maybe even more than a reason to be black something that we really want to try to be black for, but also a great reason to be blue-red in Relic Amulet. So I think I would snap that up here.
0: Right, and so I think this is an important decision point, even as early as pack one pick two, is that let's say this is a card as powerful as, and I think Skyclave Shade isn't quite there, but you know, as powerful as Drana, right? What if, what if Drana is the card you take here are you going to take a huge hit in power level here and take Nimana sky dancer second over the amulet
1: no i don't think i'm ever taking namona sky dancer here because Nimana sky dancer for me is replacement level May- maybe a role player if you're hyper blue black rogues but I'm not I'm not convinced that I'm gonna be blue black for a Drana. Drana to me is black X. So at so at that point, Namano Sky Dancer is replacement level for me. And then once I'm locked into blue black, I'll bump Nimano Sky Dancer up to role player level.
0: Absolutely right. So so we've got and we've got a reason to do something here in Relic Amulet, and a pretty darn good reason, I think, to get into a pretty darn good color pair. Um, and I think that's why I took it here. And now I'm fine to just sort of be on two divergent paths, right? I have Skyclave Shade to go in Black X, hopefully Black X aggro. And then I have Relic Amulet for if Blue Red Wizards is open. Yep. Moving on to Pack One, Pick Three Commons in consideration. There's a Vanquish the Week, Shepherd of Heroes, another Seafloor Stalker. Those are probably the three best. Two Red Uncommons in Songmad Treachery and Skyclave Geopede, but neither really like fit into the uh, the wizard's deck necessarily and then lol mage's familiar is still here the blue green gold uncommon so there are a few cards that stand out to me here lol mage's familiar i think
1: we're ruling out because we've got it firmly in the the reward category if it were a reason type card i think you could consider taking lol mage's familiar here even though it puts you down a third divergent path like that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily a bad place to be right that's one of the ways to stay open in draft is to have three great powerful cards and then you're trying to figure out which one of those three lanes you're trying to ultimately go down but as far as the commons that stand out to me here one you didn't mention expedition diviner i think could be considered because it goes along well with relic amulet uh, as a wizard but we've also got vanquish the week here and i think just having skyclave shade and knowing how powerful that is and vanquish i think you know, you can make a case as just the best card in the pack here. Certainly the best card that goes along the best with our first two picks that I think we're just snapping up Vanquish the week.
0: Well, I think there's also an interesting thing to weigh when you start a draft with a couple of reasons is weighing not only the power of the two, right? So I think personally for me, Skyclave Shade is a better reason or perhaps a more flexible reason to do a thing than Relic Amulet is. So if I'm faced with a choice of card A goes best with Skyclave Shade and card B goes best with Relic Amulet, if I feel like those cards are the same grade, the tiebreaker for me is going to be, well, which of the two things I already have do I value more? And I personally would value Shade more. But then I also think like, let's say you went like Reason, Reason, Reason. I think the later you get the Reason cards in the draft and tell me if I'm off base here or if I'm like leveling myself... The later the reason, like the third reason I get, I might bias a little bit more towards that as the picks progress, because that card has more weight as a signal, right? Two people passed up on that card, whereas the card I first picked, there may not be any way for me to get into that card or color or archetype because it's cut from my right.
1: No, that makes sense to me. I think that's totally on board. I think I would start thinking about that maybe around like pick four, pick five.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, if you do go shade into amulet and let's say lull mage is familiar was a reason and you took that, but then I'd probably on future picks, tiebreakers would lead me to want to do the blue green thing the most because it's the card I saw the latest. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, that's a going down a little rabbit hole there, but I I took vanquish the week here. Um, As I think you said, could be considered the, the best card in the pack or at least the best card in the pack with what we've got going on. You know, the first few picks of a draft are going to be the most interesting in framing them under this like reason reward lens. So maybe let's take a look at another round table. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So we got a really powerful pack here. Some good commons in black, a lot of black in this pack, six black cards. Um, Feed the Swarm, probably the best of the commons here. Our three uncommons are Veteran Adventurer, Malakir Rebirth as your MDFC, roost of drakes perhaps just like the best card in the set but the rare in the pack is also maybe going to give it a run for its money nighthawk scavenger that's the one black black flying death touch lifelink its power is equal to one plus the number of card types among cards in your opponent's graveyard
1: yeah this is a very interesting pick here i think between you're immediately ruling it down to nighthawk scavenger versus roost of drakes
0: Mm -hmm. i think
1: regardless of pack coalition considerations i would be on roost of drakes over nighthawk scavenger it's close but i think roost of drakes just is a better card and then the pack that there's like a million other good black cards here is definitely a tiebreaker if you're torn between those two cards right there's no other good blue cards and in black there's gloom hunter feed the swarm
0: and malakir rebirth as other good black cards yeah so i i took roost of drakes there it's always fun to get to start a draft with roost i feel like uh I feel like winning the lottery a little bit so took that and then moved on to pack one pick two got some interesting options good commons malakir blood priest core celebrant. The only lone blue card in the pack, and I believe the only card with kicker in the pack, is cunning geyser mage. Um, Three uncommons still left in the pack. Looks like the person to your right took a rare. So we've got an Umara mystic. Skyclave Shadowcat and Goma Fada Vanguard. This is interesting. The one in red 2-2 when it attacks target creature and opponent controls with power less than or equal to the number of warriors you control. Can't block this turn. Reason or reward or role player, Ben?
1: I think it's a reward. Yeah, but it, it is very good once you're in warriors. It's a it's a it's reason power level once you're in a Warriors deck, but I don't think you pick it as the reason to draft Warriors.
0: And it's also got a little bit of flexibility, right? If you're in a, some sort of red party deck, you are likely to have a handful of Warriors. So this you know, it won't be at its best in that deck, but I still think it's going to be pretty good. So it also feels like a reward for that style of deck too.
1: So for me, when I'm looking at this pick, I'm immediately narrowing it down to Umara Mystic and Cunning Geyser Mage. And I think for me, Umara Mystic is good enough that I think I'm willing to take a chance on it here. I think blue red's got a lot of good kicker cards. You know, Roost of Drakes is at its best in blue green, but I think any blue deck that's heavy blue, Roost is going to be anywhere from a good to great card. So I think I would be taking Umara Mystic as a reason to be blue red here over Cunning Geyser Mage.
0: Yeah, I think because Umara Mystic is I mean, I think it is a reason, but it's just on that cusp of reason and reward for me. And Roost of Drakes is such an important reason to do a thing. And Cunning Geyser Mage supports that reason. Like, But, but I don't think it's a reward, right? It's a role player in that deck. Right? A role player in Wizards, a role player in Kicker, whatever. Role player may be in party if you need the types, but it's definitely a role player. So I'm taking a pretty significant hit in power or in, in opportunity here by taking a role player over a reason.
1: Yeah. And that looks like that's what you ended up doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's defensible. I don't know if it's right, but I think if it's if it's wrong, it's not wrong by that much.
1: No, I agree. It's a close pick. And I think, you know, we both have different rationales for our, our decision here. And I think it probably is because I value Umara Mystic and value being blue red. I think more than you do, it sounds like, a little bit.
0: I think so, yeah, yeah. And then we have a really interesting pick here. Pack one, pick three. The only blue card, so in in my pile, I've got Roost and Geyser Mage. The only blue card in the pack is Expedition Diviner. Um, The commons are largely junk. Blood Beckoning is probably the only one else worth mentioning uh one uncommon in iridescent horn beetle and the rare is still in the pack yasharn implacable earth two green white for the four four when atbs you can search for a forest and a plains reveal them put them into your hand and then shuffle your library and players can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities
1: yeah this is an interesting pick here so i think you're immediately again narrowing it down to expedition diviner versus yasharn So Expedition Diviner, again, a role player type card in Wizards. I don't even think it falls into the reward category, but definitely a good role player. Um, Happy to play this card in your four drop slot if you get it when you care about the wizard types. And Yasharn, I think, for me, I think is in reward territory. I think green white's bad enough, and this doesn't do enough to make green white good that it would fall into the reason category for me. I mean, it's essentially just an efficient card, right? Four mana, four, four, and then going to give you a couple land drops or landfall triggers. I don't think that's good enough that I'm willing to even take a flyer on it here to potentially, I, it's so hard for me to imagine a world where I end up drafting green, white and abandoning Roost of Drakes. that I think I'd rather just take Expedition Diviner here as a fine role player and cut blue and get myself deeper into blue to increase my chances of playing what is one of the best reasons of the set in rooster drakes
0: yeah i mean perhaps i i was playing a little scared here so i did take yasharn and i think it sounds like i'm just higher on yasharn than you are i think that card yeah it's efficient i mean it's a three for one in a, in a color pair that doesn't really get to have card advantage in that way but as i think you and i both agree green white is the worst color pair and so you probably shouldn't be trying to get into it even for a card like yasharn but i did take it here i guess i was feeling a little look i took a pretty big hidden power level on my last pick with geyser mage and i'm feeling a little scared seeing only diviner here which isn't even really that good with roost um, that i might need to to move off of it maybe taking blood beckoning also isn't that crazy because it, it is a kicker card
1: yeah, I think you could make a case for blood beckoning as well. I think it feels a little early to be scared, right? Because there's two uncommons missing from the pack, right? So people mm-hmm. could have taken anything. Like this is just a bad pack as far as common collation, right? Like right, if there okay. were if there were into the royal here instead of expedition diviner, you'd still be snapping that up as the only blue card,
0: right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, but but expedition diviner is not into the royal.
1: I agree. Yes, there's a, yes, there's a very yeah. big gap between those two cards. I agree.
0: But like su- super, super interesting. And I think, again, you're hearing us have land on different sides of the coin in these last two picks. But I think that's also just based on our personal pick orders, and based on our perhaps preferences or, or willingness to move into certain color pairs more or less than the other person. But we have those reasons, right? We've We've come to the table with that homework and have identified the cards as reasons, rewards, role players, and replaceables in our mind.
1: Right. And both of us can give rational, critical thinking style, you know, justifications for why we're making the picks we're making, which is really important as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like many things in Magic, the conversation is more important than the pick or the grade or whatever. 100%. I am so jazzed about this episode. I think this is awesome. Sweet. I think this is a really interesting way to frame card evaluations. And more than that, it just like I want to bring this to our like crash courses more. I want to bring this to my set reviews with Alex more because it really helps me boil things down thinking about okay, if I, if I stop thinking about a card as a B minus or a C plus, because I can get a little like, you know, murky in terms of what are we actually talking about? But when I just sort of put, pin it down as, this is a card that makes me want to do this thing. This is a card that is a reward for already doing that thing. I think that really makes it easier to, to draw that line in the sand.
1: Right. And I think it's really interesting too, how over the course of a draft, cards can shift between different categories, especially between replacement and role player, right? That Namanu Sky Dancer thought, like where it is replacement level, until you know your rogues, and then it's role player level. So that that idea of how those you know last 10 cards that are going to go in your deck shift in value over the course of a draft is really cool too.
0: Yeah. And then knowing what archetype you're in that sh- causes that shift or what cards that are in your deck that cause that shift. Like once I have the end of the Royals, then Risen Rift Tide doesn't look so bad.
1: Right. Yeah. Very cool. Sweet. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salted Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen.
0: Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all things magic related, when you check out, please use the code LOL, all caps, to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming and on Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. Both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for hanging out, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.